The World Up Front is an international affairs podcast, interviewing leading minds on topics of global importance, bringing to light the events, ideas, and trends shaping today's world. I'm your host, Alex Betley. On June 21st, the International Bureau of Expositions, or Bureau Internationale des Expositions, otherwise known as the BIE in French, will announce the winner to host Expo 2027, a months-long event in which countries unveil and showcase their most remarkable achievements. The United States is one of five countries currently in the running, alongside Argentina, Serbia, Spain, and Thailand. If selected, the U.S. will be hosting Expo 2027 in Bloomington, Minnesota, bringing visitors from across the world to the land of 10,000 lakes. To discuss Minnesota's bid, I've brought on former Minnesota Secretary of State Mark Ritchie. Mark is currently co-chair of the USA Expo Bid Committee and, as just mentioned, previously served as Minnesota's 21st Secretary of State. He has also been president of Global Minnesota, an organization advancing international understanding and engagement. A lifelong advocate of international engagement, Mark is well-positioned for this role in representing the great state of Minnesota and the country. Mark, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. So, Mark, just for our listeners, be curious to if you could uh, comment on what is Expo 2027. You know, I think in the past we all know about the famous World Fairs exhibitions and we read about them in the history books growing up. Um, what is Expo 2027? Well, there's two ways to think about this. So quickly, there are the World's Fairs like we have in our heads, like you mentioned, the very large ones. And those happen on the zero years and the five years. So 2010, 2015, 2020, forgetting COVID for the moment. And those are six months in length. They are unlimited in size, but they can be a thousand acres, something like that. Their theme tends to be fairly general. Okay. The last one, Connecting Minds, Creating the Future in Dubai, uh, is a good example. And in between each of those six-month unlimited size general expos, there's always one that's three months maximum. So think summer. It's limited in size to 25 hectares, so 62 acres, so it's compact. And it has to have a very specific theme. So the one in Yoshu, Korea was Save the Oceans. The one in Astana in Kazakhstan was about alternative energy for the future. Minnesota, uh, about 12 years ago, when we began this process of bidding to host, we chose a theme around health and wellness related to the UN Sustainable Development Goals number three, good health and well-being for all at all ages. And our tagline that we chose was healthy people, healthy planet. And so that um, three-month focused expo is officially called a specialized expo. And it will be a gathering point for nations, institutions of the UN and others, companies, civil society, to bring forth their issues and their achievements and their objectives around those sustainable development goals related to health and wellness. And so the COVID world changed some things 
dramatically. And one of them is that it forced the last World's Fair, the one that was held in Dubai, which we call Dubai 2020, actually was held in 2021 because of COVID. So it was postponed. And during that time of postponement, it was unclear if it was going to be able to open. You know, we had the postponement of the Olympics, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so the leaders of that expo, really amazing leaders who were building that whole uh, Dubai expo, they built out a virtual digital internationalization of the expo, oh, wow. which touched lives everywhere. Wow. And they were able to host, uh, they were a year, a year late, uh, but they had a spectacular in-person experience as well. So the challenge for those of us who come next or soon after Dubai is, um, was stated to me by the woman who was in charge of that whole digital, which is she said, Mark, stop just thinking about the 10 or so million people who might come to an expo in Minnesota. That'll be great. I'm sure it'll be great. Think about the 8 billion people on the planet mm. who would never come to Minnesota or Dubai. Mm -hmm. How will you also inspire them, especially the young people of that 8 billion through the process? And I have taken that to heart. And so many things that we're doing now we're thinking both about an extraordinary in-person experience and we're thinking about really the sort of amazing technological and I think it's fair to say revolutionary technological changes that are right. happening. AI, Meta, right. you know, virtual, I mean, Apple. Right. So this way of imagining an amazing place to come and visit where you could see the whole world. And this is one of the things we always say is being in one place where you can walk around and in one day or two days or however long you have, you can see the whole world right. is, a, is a consciousness changing experience. But making that sharing be something that then is inspiring for the rest of the planet, especially the young people, right. will be what Minnesota will be challenge to do, but I think we're really the right place to do that kind of a inclusive global process. Right. And that, that kind of gets into a little bit of, of my next question, which is sort of what, why Minnesota, you know, obviously given, especially given the tagline is healthy people, healthy planet, Minnesota is consistently ranked as one of the healthiest states. It's consistently ranked as one of the best places to live. Um, I'm biased. You know that I obviously love Minnesota as much as you do. But to people that maybe aren't from Minnesota or who haven't been to Minnesota, why is Minnesota a particularly good location to, to host Expo 2027? Well, one part is, of course, our theme. And, and you mentioned that we, we always rank high. Um, that high ranking does mask some of the disparities. So we have lots of things that we need to mm -hmm. do better here. But we also have this unusual combination of the best hospitals in the world, Mayo, et cetera, but also a strong focus on self-care and self-help and nature's contribution to our health and exercise and sports and mm -hmm. activities, 
loneliness as a challenge to health mm -hmm. and community as mm -hmm. a way of being in a wellness mode. Mm -hmm. We also are a global leader in things like mental health and addiction uh, treatment. I mean, we are the home of, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, Betty Ford and um, uh, the, the different organizations. And we have an extraordinary medical community with the university and with the uh, major hospital system, but also the companies, the um, kind of innovation of medical devices mm -hmm. in general begins here with the pacemaker and, uh, you know, Erbachan and, you know, people in a garage, it yeah. literally, and it extends itself into the idea that these innovations give us longer lives with higher quality of life. What do we give back with those extra years and that higher quality of life? So for our purpose of communicating to the 179 countries who make up this body, you mentioned the BIE, they will vote on which uh, city to be host, which in our case, which region to be host. And um, they will look at the, the theme. So health and wellness is certainly a universal theme, but they also will ask questions about um, welcoming. Mm. And one of the really inspiring parts of this campaign to win, so we've been at this for well over a decade, 12 mm. years now, is that our diaspora from the other parts of the world who come here, mm -hmm are the strongest voices in speaking to their mother countries or the, their home countries and to others in saying one reason to choose to make Minnesota the location of that 2027 Expo is that it's interested in welcoming, not keeping people out. We're interested in other people's ideas and experiences. Yes, we're really proud of our system and our medical and you know, all that, mm -hmm. yes. But we're also aware of our disparities, our shortcomings. We're appreciative of other people's innovation. Mm -hmm. What can we learn from how they define and pursue wellness and well-being? How do they define mm -hmm. wellness and well-being? And especially COVID put us in touch with how important mental health is, how important preventative care is how if you don't universally make medical care available, then these uh, new variants keep coming mm -hmm. and coming and coming. And so we are very proud of, and we brag on in our own shy <laughs> Minnesota way about what we know and what we learn and, and how we share it. Mm -hmm. But we also are clear about saying Minnesota has a reputation that is shown by the number and size of the diasporas from Africa, from Latin America, from Asia, of course, from Europe and other places, but mm -hmm. we have attracted people from the whole planet and their voice, their authentic voice. You know, I'm from Cameroon and here's how we end up Minnesota mm -hmm. and here's what Minnesota has given me the ability to do to make up my life. Mm -hmm. That story is very meaningful to the head of state of Cameroon, to the foreign minister. Right. So this um, special characteristic of Minnesota is, is quite important. 
Right. And I don't think anyone does community better than Minnesota. And it's so often that I'm here and I, I meet or talk to either migrants or the children of immigrants or what have you. And they come from other parts of the world that, you know, people know Minnesota is obviously a very cold place uh, in terms of the winter. And oftentimes the question comes up or something about the weather comes up, you know, why would you want to live somewhere so cold? And every single time they always say the community every time. It's very impressive to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so uh, in 1853, the world's second World's Fair was taking place in New York. And uh, 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 somebody of the French diaspora in mm-hmm. um, Hastings saw this was happening and he thought this was like would be the perfect place to advertise Minnesota. This new right. place wasn't even a state. So anyhow, he got three hundred dollars from the territorial legislature to go represent Minnesota at the second World's Fair. Wow. He took a live three-year-old buffalo, a birch bark <laughs> canoe, wild rice, all kinds of grains, boat and train taking a buffalo. And he was he was our exhibit. And it right. had a huge impact and made the New York Times and all this kind of stuff. But he wrote back to our governor and said, you know, I thought we could go and show Minnesota how beautiful and how exotic these animals, all that. And people from New York would just move out to Minnesota. (laughs) And he said, well, that's not going to (laughs) happen. But he wrote tens of thousands of people arrive every week in steamships at the New York Harbor, Mm -hmm. the state of Minnesota. We weren't quite a state yet, but we were getting there. The people, the government of Minnesota should pay for, a commissioner of immigration in New York to greet these incoming immigrants and to tell them about Minnesota and to assist them in coming to Minnesota. And um, he also made suggestions like some states, you could begin to vote. If you said, I'm going to become a citizen of the United States, you could vote. So Minnesota and other states. So the fact that early on in our um, life as a state in the modern sense, there was uh, this effort to sort of show off the state and get people to move here from New York and all that. But there was enough wisdom to say, hey, that's not going to work. But look what is going on in our country. Mm-hmm. People are coming here. Let's communicate and I, I, there's a big poster at Ellis Island, and it's Minnesota. It's gigantic, but it says, perfect weather, deep, deep topsoil. <laughs> so this was the message. Of course, in the summer, perfect weather. Right. And when you're telling people about expos, you don't have to mention how hot it might be in Southeast Asia or Right. the southern tip of Europe during the summer, because you wouldn't want to be standing in line in 110 degrees heat. Mm-hmm. You want to be in Minnesota, where <laughs> it is lovely yep. in the summertime. And in the wintertime, we all have warm hearts. Yes, And so you can be careful <laughs> about the language right. and communicate um, both that it's, a lovely place and lovely people. Absolutely. So moving on, how do you mind talking a little bit about uh, Minnesota and the U S competition? I know there's five countries currently in the running. Yeah. Five, 
you know, cities, so okay. to speak. Um, so just very briefly, yeah. Belgrade, which is the capital of Serbia, uh, Bar Loce, which is a uh, ski resort community in the northern Patagonia, so the northern part of Argentina, Puket, which is a resort island sort of in, uh, in um, I think, north and west of Bangkok, um, you know, a famous tourist spot. Um, and Malaga, Spain, which is the sort of administrative capital of Andalusia in the southern part of Spain, down yeah. on the on the Mediterranean. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been to all of these, but I uh, did do some of my uh, research and visited some. And um, all have uh, really devoted and dedicated people. Uh, uh, some of them have... Uh, uh, some challenges, for example, in Argentina, right at this moment, they have extreme inflation. This is right. a complicated thing when you're in an international competition because people don't know how your economy might, right. uh, what might happen, right. something like that. And um, we obviously have a complicated global geopolitical system. And one of the points about uh, World's Fairs and exhibitions in general was the notion that these should be contributing towards understanding mm -hmm. and peaceful relations among nations and among people. And so all of these things come to play in the conversation. But there's also, um, there's the dynamic of the rules. So there are certain ways that you can compete and not. There's also a competition right this moment for who will host one of the big ones the six-month version okay. in 2030. So initially, that was Moscow, Odessa, wow. Rome, Busan, Korea, and Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. At some point, Moscow dropped out, so it leaves Odessa in Ukraine, um, Rome, Busan, Korea, and, and Riyadh, uh, Saudi Arabia. And that's a very intense competition, and so sometimes... Uh, countries, let's say you're Rome, you might not want another city in Europe to be chosen for 2027 because this would essentially knock you out okay. of bidding for 2030. Okay. So I'm in the weeds a little bit just to say that this is a, it takes strategy mm -hmm. and, um, uh, competitive thinking. But in the end, you want everybody to be excited about participating in the 2027 Expo wherever right. it ends up. Right. And, and you mentioned a little bit of um, strategy and, and knowing the process. This is our second bid, right? Correct. So I was Correct. Just, what, what kind of lessons have you learned um, from the first bid through to now? Yeah. So, um, the first bid, 90% of the time and the money that Minnesota invested was invested on changing the decision of the U.S. federal government who had stopped paying dues. So we were four years behind in dues and dropped out of the process for 20 years or so. Okay. So, <clears throat> well, our 
good friend, Manuel Delgado, who was a diaspora from Venezuela in Houston, had a beautiful vision of Houston hosting one of the big six-month version. And he wanted to have Houston being portrayed in the international community as the place where NASA designs and launches human space travel, mm -hmm. courage and exploring and mm -hmm. beautiful. But he went to tell the people in Paris at the main headquarters where all the kind of decision-making voting takes place. And they said, great idea, <clears throat> but you can't bid because the U.S. isn't a member. So anyhow, <laughs> Manuel in 2009 gets himself on the front page of the Wall Street Journal saying, it's not fair. U.S. government's got to rejoin so Houston can bid. And people in the Twin Cities and California and other places saw this article and they go, oh, somebody's making a ruckus. They got on the phone. It's a big process. But pretty soon mm -hmm. there was an Expo USA dedicated to all of us together getting the U.S. to reengage. You know, we had dropped out of many things, UNESCO, right. all kinds of stuff. And so. The lesson of that was that the work of getting us back in was big, but it gave us a lot of credibility with other countries, other cities, other participants. So that's one thing is doing that gave us a lot of credibility. The second thing is that it is really one-on-one -on -one communications with um, the decision makers and with influencers because it's mm -hmm. a secret vote. Generally, there's somebody who's the named person from Paris. That's where the vote takes place. Often it's the ambassador in Paris. That makes sense. Sometimes they don't have an ambassador in Paris, so maybe they come from London or Brussels, but it's secret. So do they get an instruction from their head of state or their foreign minister from home, and then they do what they're told? If they don't get an instruction, like in some countries right now, there's a lot of civil unrest. Senegal, mm -hmm. right this moment. And they just, I think, literally told one of the people who was lobbying them, you know, we're thinking about what's going on in Senegal. We'll leave that to our people up in Paris or something mm -hmm. to that effect. So mm -hmm. that lesson that we learned in the first round was that directly going and speaking to the influencers and the decision makers and the person with their finger on the button. Sure. It was super important to make relationships. It generally turned out that people had some connection to Minnesota. Okay. It's, it's odd, but like the ambassador <laughs> to France from Kenya went to undergraduate school in New York city and her dorm captain was Eleanor Mondale. <laughs> and no she called Fritz, Mondale, Uncle Fritz, and <laughs> wow. she knew political stories from Minnesota that wow. I didn't know. Wow. So she had a feeling for Minnesota that yeah. she stayed in the U.S. She got a Ph.D. in oil and gas. She went home to Kenya. She ran geothermal. Then they made her minister environment, banned plastic bags, and they made her ambassador in Paris. So wow. you never know. <laughs> so when you go see someone, they are. Uh, a grateful that you come to see them. Mm -hmm. They have uh, all ears to hear the story. A very interesting thing that I have uh, been engaged in is that Minnesota Africans United, which is our, uh, let's say, 
combined organization of the different African diaspora groups, different countries, different regions, Eastern Africa, Southern Africa, Central, mm -hmm. etc. Uh, they they made a decision back in 2019 at um, one of their it was their annual summit. Uh, they wanted to hear about this expo and they could say, oh, this matches our belief that the diaspora living in Minnesota should be leading on two way communications, two way trade, two way investment, two way tourism and getting this expo to come to Minnesota would supercharge mm -hmm. their work. And so they took on the task of getting all of Africa to vote for Minnesota. And they're step by step making that happen. It turns out for many African countries, they are very familiar that Minnesota is a major mining state. Lots of Minnesotans don't really know that fact. Sure. I was visiting with Africans from Minnesota, the ambassador from Guinea, mm -hmm. a, a, a relatively speaking, very poor country on the West Coast. And he said to me, well, his assistant had a brother-in-law in St. Cloud, Minnesota. That, <laughs> that was interesting. Yeah. But he said, I know that Minnesota is the world's largest producer of iron ore over, even over the last hundred years, mm -hmm. the Masaba iron ore drink, very famous. Right. He said, I, meaning me, probably did not know that Guinea had the world's largest deposits of iron ore underground, untapped. Did I think maybe our companies and our universities and others would like to talk to them mm -hmm. about how we could collectively, collaboratively sure. um, link these things together? Sure. And of course, that's a that's a smart thing. Right. That's a good thing. And it was a reminder that if we go and have conversations things we never thought about um, will be uncovered. Right. And so that's the second lesson to direct. And then finally, this is important. Um, the way the voting goes, um, it'll be rounds of voting and whoever gets the least votes drops off the ballot. I see. So you need to be thinking about who will vote for you first because you, you got to have a big enough number so you're in the mix. Mm -hmm. And who will you be their second choice? So Barloche is in Latin America. Their neighbors, Latin America, Central Caribbean, will vote for Barloche. If Barloche drops off the ballot, where will those votes go? Um, Belgrade, Eastern European, uh, Balkans. They, uh, where will their voters go if they are no longer on the ballot. So it's that being uh, appreciative that neighbors are gonna support neighbors mm -hmm. like in Asia, Latin America, Europe. So you wanna be their second choice. Mm -hmm. And so in addition to a focus on Africa, which will give Minnesota a strong, large block in the beginning, and mm -hmm. that's super critical. Mm -hmm. When we win, the headline should be, thank you, Africa. That's but incredible. it also is important to then be respectful and say, yes, you know, you're uh, Chile, you'd be backing your, your neighbor, Argentina. If Argentina at some point is no longer on the ballot, we'd love to have your support, and here's why. 
And so that was uh, another lesson from the, the first round. We actually have been through two rounds of voting already. Okay. Um, it's not well known. But there was a time right when we were successfully uh, changing the government policy of the U.S. Uh, Congressman Tom Immer mm -hmm. on the House side and our Senator Amy Klobuchar on the Senate side worked together to unanimously pass legislation. That's rare <laughs> on the House and Senate that said to the State Department, rejoin so that right. Minnesota could bid. So while that was going on, there was a we were really late in the process. And so we weren't going to be allowed in the in the voting for that first bid. And we decided to take it to the floor of all the delegates. And some of the delegates stood up and spoke in our favor. Wow. And said, I'm voting for Minnesota. The, the delegate from uh, Mali stood up and said, I'm voting for Minnesota, and here's why. Wow. And they kind of gaveled her down. You're not really supposed to do that kind of thing. But the point is that in the end, because we went door to door to door to door to door to every embassy possible, and we grouped people by languages and, you know, all of that, we won the right to be in the final round of voting by one vote. Wow. Yeah. And so we would have been dead and the whole idea of the expo in Minnesota would have been dead because you can't have momentum if you don't, right. if you're not engaged in the process. Others would have stepped in, uh, Houston in particular, they were really ready to go. But because we got in, we didn't win. Nobody wins on the first round, but mm -hmm. we got momentum and we got people's admiration for what we had done. Mm -hmm. And we quickly turned around our paperwork, updated it, that sort of thing, and got it in so that we were kind of in the lead right. going into this round. And that gives us the momentum to take these last 10 days and really step it up. That's incredible. I had no idea about that story. There's a, there's a lot of stories. <laughs> we'll have to, uh, ap after we... After we win the bid uh, and host the fair, I have to bring you back on in a couple of years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and it actually will be very important to move the conversation from maybe, 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 maybe chicken and the egg. You know, lots right. of people think it's great, but you don't really have it. Like the first time when we asked people for their support, they said, U.S. isn't even a member. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, we know. So we need your help. You know, well... Right. Come back and see me. Right. So um, to have had the support, the bipartisan support, the strong bipartisan support to take this through Congress unanimously in both the House and the Senate and to have President Obama, right. President Trump, President Biden all lined up and enthusiastic this is really part of the secret to why we're able to now be on the cusp or on the really on the edge of winning. Right. And um, that brings its own challenges, but it would uh, be a remarkable contribution to our community. When we started, we really were focused on nobody's ever heard of Minnesota. We got to do something like an expo. Right. 
George Floyd was murdered and every single person on the planet, and I mean every single person on the planet, had heard of us. Right. And it was fundamentally changed from that moment forward. Interesting. And so I've watched that conversation and been engaged in that conversation with many, many countries. And it is also really important how articulate our diaspora from Africa who live in Minnesota are about this question. Mm -hmm. Nobody sugarcoats the disparities, the difficulties, the challenges, nobody. But everybody is clear about Minnesota as a community of people wanting to challenge and tackle and deal with and move forward on these great challenges that really face all humanity and they face us right here at home in Minnesota. And so there's been a fundamental shift in the the most important aspect of this initiative to bring Mm -hmm. a World's Fair. It's that people need to know not just about the veneer of Minnesota, Mm -hmm. biggest hospital, best hospital in the world, you know, all of that, top in voting, top in contributions to charitable, top, you know, this. They also need to know that we face our problems and difficulties just like they do and that we want to do that in a transparent and open way so we learn from others and we then share what we've learned ourselves. And I think maybe that's the most important thing that will come from this is um, people won't stop asking, what about this George Floyd thing? Right. They'll start saying, what did you do? How did you handle that? What happened next? What happened now? What's going on right. in the future? And, and that's, that's the right question. Right. And, and something that's, you know, something that I'm sure people that are familiar with the state and you obviously are quite familiar with from your time in, in politics and everything you've been doing is Minnesota is probably one of the most civically engaged states that I know of. Um, I, people I regularly talk to, um, whether it's in nonprofits or what have you, whether directly involved in politics, people genuinely care about the well-being of the state and trying to, um, solve problems, um, at least compared to, to the national, uh, the current state of national politics, I think. Uh, I was just in D.C. for a while, and, you know, you feel the palpability of political divides there. And we have those here in Minnesota, too, of course, but I just don't get the sense that um, it's as vicious here, that people really are invested in the state. Yeah, and I would say that for some people, one of the things about the Expo is that they're really grateful for a big project that people can unite around. Right. And and that it has had such bipartisan support. And I mean, yeah. you know, uh, Senator Coleman, Senator Boschwitz, Governor Pawlenty, mm-hmm. Senators, um, you know, uh, Smith and uh, Klobuchar and, uh, you know, uh, all of them. And then on the House side, everybody. I mean, that's the truth about this. You know, it's had this really strong support. Right. Everywhere. And then that means that people can say, oh, having a big project to focus on that is. And and this is, again, uh, a challenge, making sure that it is good for everybody in Mm -hmm. the state, not just for a few people Mm -hmm. or one place or whatever is a challenge. And so we get to help demonstrate how do you really make it good for one Minnesota 
not just one place in Minnesota, right. all Minnesota, not just some Minnesotans. And I'm, right. I'm up for that challenge. And I think that's the right question. Right. And that, that was, you know, hopefully my concluding question I was going to ask you, and I, I don't want to keep you forever. I know, I know you got to go soon. If you could just briefly comment maybe on what kind of impact will this have on the state? Well, so, um, I'll just, I'll talk about three of them. I can't say in, in a general way, but sure, I sure. believe that we can do this properly and inspire young people to want to go into the healing professions, the healthcare, the wellness, the well-being profession mm-hmm. at a time where COVID has killed a lot of people in the medical profession. Mm-hmm. and driven a lot of people out of the medical profession with long COVID or just with stress and stuff. So right, right. changing the dynamics around career path and desirability and focus in the health, wellness, um, career area, mm-hmm. uh, the scientific part, the care part, et cetera, I think is something we can do and it is a serious problem. And it's a serious problem around the world. So learning what other countries are doing and then doing a good job ourselves. So that's one thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing is the whole world agreed on the 17 sustainable development goals, things with specific targets, you know, reducing uh, deaths by road crashes by half by 2030. There's a group of them. I believe that Minnesota and other states are only now beginning to really think about the power of having that sort of collective decision, this uh, expo, because it's specifically crafted around sustainable development goals number three, mm-hmm. good health and well-being for all at all ages. We can accelerate our use of those sustainable development goals in helping us move our whole society ahead. So mm-hmm. that's a second thing, is it? And then the third thing is, if we do this well, we will learn how to do what the woman who ran digital for Dubai Expo said to me, which is think about the 8 billion. Mm -hmm. And while she was saying that to me, I was texted from a primary school teacher from a school district. He was up by Blaine, by uh, Twin Pines, so, so just north of the city. And his five-year-olds, he had one day used his big smart screen to bring down one of the virtual tours of one of the pavilions at the Dubai Expo. Because when they thought it wasn't going to open, they made virtual tours. Japan made four of them. Fantastic. And he was showing them an expo, right? And the five-year-olds got up there and showed him how to move things around and how to talk (laughs) to the avatar. And he said, wait a minute. I should let these five-year-olds be the teacher for the day. Right. They drew straws. They picked a country. They then taught the course. And then it became like a phenomena in his school district. And he texted me because the newspaper and the TV wanted to come cover him. And so it became this thing. Well, when I told this woman who was in charge of this, it was really, she goes, wow, this is like, you know, this amazing. We can... We did this in imagining that teachers would use these, but putting it in the hands of the kids, the children, these Mm -hmm. are five-year-olds. I mean, this could have been high schoolers, but it's exactly what we want. We want the expo to be able to inspire the young people Mm -hmm. 
And this teacher had stumbled upon and then perfected a way to do that in his classroom, which means you could do it around the entire planet. And Mm -hmm. with the technological advances over the last few years in language translation, it could be in any language under any set of circumstances completely on the planet. And so I hope that we're one of the impacts on Minnesota is we become perceived as the place that really did say, yes, we want people to come visit us. Yes, of course. Mm-hmm. But mostly we want to find the ways to share inspiration with the young people and mm-hmm. all people on the planet that it's created by what magic happens when people can come to one place and say, hey, Look at what this world lo- was. What this world looks like. Oh, let's share that with the whole world. Right. I think uh, that's a good note to end on, Mark. Um, I really appreciate your time. I think we'll all be looking forward to uh, to June twenty first. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to talking to you after we win. <laughs> Sounds good. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the World Upfront. If you liked this episode, go ahead and give us a follow or like. We're on all the major social media platforms. And feel free to share this episode and others with friends, family, and anyone who might be interested.